Good evening. How's everyone doing? Good. How you feeling about daylight savings time? It's always a bummer when it's five o'clock and it's dark, isn't it? So, but the weather's been great. It's a beautiful, beautiful night. So, a couple announcements for you is, ladies, uh, we are coming up on our Christmas tea, and we're doing this a little bit uh, different so that more ladies can come. Is there's a seating before the gathering, then the gathering in the sanctuary, then a seating afterwards. So you can go to the church's website and purchase tickets. The app was not working over the weekend, but the app is working. And so we're opening this up in faith, so reach out. You can buy tickets, invite ladies, and and I think there should be uh, plenty of room. Men, we do need you to serve uh, December 3rd. Go ahead and sign up because this is a big, big undertaking. So we could really uh, use your help to to bless the ladies of our church and community on uh, December 3rd. Also, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, it's our night of prayer and worship. And we're going to have a special testimony and Thanksgiving service. And what's going to be unique about this is there's going to be more worship, but also we're going to prepare some cards uh, where you're going to have an opportunity to write down what you're thankful for and then share that with a small group of people during, during service. And we studied last week uh, in Romans 1 just the power of being thankful. So plan on coming out. I mean, this is a time to be thankful. I mean, we can easily focus on all the hardships, but God wants us uh, to be thankful. And then we're going to take those cards and post them in the foyer. There's going to be a pallet wall. And so at the end of the night, you'll be able to put up your cards there. And we're all going to be treated to pumpkin pie and hot apple cider and have some fellowship in uh, the foyer. So we're looking forward to that already. I mean, I wish the pumpkin pie was here tonight. But So we're in a Revelation chapter 11. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation 11. How many of you are just ready for Jesus to come back? Yeah. That'd be awesome if he, he came during a Wednesday night service. Then we could brag to everybody that wasn't here. Like, you, you should have come. <laughs> you should have come to that Wednesday night service. Let's pray together. Father, we, we do come to you with praise and thanksgiving. Thank you for being our dad. Thank you for, for loving us. In the midst of these crazy times that we're living in, we thank you that your throne is set. You're you're seated upon the throne. You're moving in the hearts and lives of people. Lord, we want to be a part of of what you're doing. And so, God, would would you open up our hearts? Would you open up our lives? We thank you for these two witnesses in Revelation 11. What an awesome example that they are of lives that are set apart for you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight we're going to look at the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. Our habit as we're going through Revelation is to take our weekend text and do an in-depth study on Wednesday night. With these two witnesses, what I love about these witnesses is it's dark times spiritually during the Great Tribulation in a way that we can't comprehend. We see already in the study of Revelation that the bottomless pit is opened. There's this tremendous demonic activity that takes place. There's a hatred for these two witnesses. 
The world doesn't want anything to do with them. They're tormented by the message of these two prophets, the message of Jesus. But yet, God is able to get the attention of the whole entire world through two guys, through two witnesses. They're unnamed. We, we talked about on the weekend, maybe it's Moses and Elijah that God sends down for this specific purpose, and that could very well be. I believe that God leaves them nameless to show us that it's a really an expression of his power, that he's able to get people's attention. There's lots of wars being fought right now. There's lots of battles that the enemy is doing. And one of the battles I think that we're facing is doubt in our hearts and minds that light is greater than darkness. That God has the ability to get people's attention. So don't believe that lie from the enemy. And I hope tonight that we're encouraged by the two witnesses and we can take some practical application of things that we see in their lives about God their lives portray God, and we can take it out into a world that doesn't know Jesus. Let's just begin in verse 4 of Revelation 11. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. God depicts these two witnesses as two olive trees and two lampstands that are standing before the God of the earth. This takes us back to Zechariah chapter 4. You really can't understand this imagery of two olive trees and two lampstands without Zechariah chapter 4. So now that we've begun in Revelation 11, turn with me all the way back to Zechariah chapter 4. Where in the world is Zechariah? I'm not sure. It's in the Old Testament. We keep turning just a little bit left to the book of Matthew. If you get to Zephaniah, Habakkuk, you've gone too far, Micah, Zechariah chapter 4. I have this reoccurring nightmare, wakes me up sometimes, that I'm up here teaching and it's a real vivid, and I'm turning in my Bible and I can't find a particular book of the Bible. Like, I'm up here and like, I can't find Zechariah, I can't find... Zechariah. So Zechariah chapter 4. The reason that we're going to Zechariah 4 is because it shows us what the olive trees and the lampstands represent. This is God's message to Zerubbabel. To set the stage a little bit of what's happening in the book of Zechariah is the children of Israel had returned from captivity. They've been taken into captivity because of their sin. Now they've been released from captivity and they have the opportunity to rebuild the temple but guess what? It's hard. The enemy's attacking in Zechariah chapter 3, specifically the high priest. The high priest is getting attacked. There's a message that's given to him for encouragement. In Zechariah 4, Zerubbabel is discouraged. He's over this, this building project, and he's beginning to despise the days of small things. Ever been there? This doesn't seem to be making any forward progress. I don't think we're ever going to finish this temple. What in the world are we doing here? The task is bigger than my experience. The task is bigger than my strength. It's bigger than my resources. And God gives Zerubbabel this very encouraging message in verse 1. It says, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who wakens out of his sleep. So the angel wakes Zechariah. 
and said to him, what do you see? So I said, I'm looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lampstands. In the tabernacle, in the temple, you would have these lampstands. And with it would be the, the centerpiece within six going off the sides, making the seven. We studied the lampstands in Revelations 2 or 3. So he sees a lampstand, a golden lampstand. But this is what's unique with what he sees in verse 3. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right hand of the bull and the other at the left. So these olive trees on the right and the left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angels who talked with me answered and said, Do you not know what these are? Zechariah, you should know. And I said, No, my Lord. It's okay to be honest and say, No, I, I don't understand. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone, which shouts grace, grace to it. So you have the lampstands, and they're piped in olive oil from the olive trees. Lampstand, pipes, olive trees, this continual flow of oil. And the oil represents the Holy Spirit. And throughout the scriptures, the oil always points to the Holy Spirit. And the message to Zerubbabel in this very difficult task that feels like a mountain is, I have a continual flow of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be by your might. It's not going to be by your power, but it's going to be by my Spirit. And how this ties into the two witnesses is God likens the two witnesses to what? Two olive trees and lampstands. Their lives are a testimony of the power of the Holy Spirit. The two witnesses are not serving in and of their own strength. God is taking us back to Zechariah 4 and saying the reason these two witnesses can have this type of impact is because of the Spirit of God. Oftentimes, we're trying to do God's work in our own strength. We're trying to do it in our power, in our might, and in our resources. But God delights to use our weakness, not our strength. He does his greatest work when we're at our point of weakness and we're saying, Lord, I can't do this. I have a hunch and I have a feeling that Zerubbabel is at that place. Or he's like, I don't got it. I'm nowhere close to being able to summit this huge mountain of building this temple and God encourages him, hey, it's not going to be your might. It's not going to be your power. It's not our resources. It's not our good ideas. It's not our, our strategies. And I think we're facing struggles in our own lives with sin, struggles in our families, struggles in our community and in our world, that they cannot be solved by power or might. They can't be solved by us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. Amen? It takes a move and a work of the Holy Spirit where we're relying upon God's Spirit. We're walking in the Spirit of God. When this mountain is made a plain, when the temple is actually fulfilled and completed, the capstone, if you would, the headline, 
is going to be grace, grace. And that's the work of the Spirit, is everyone realizes, hey, it wasn't their strength, it wasn't their wisdom, it wasn't their righteousness, this was a work of grace through the power of the Holy Spirit, and everybody shouts, grace, grace. And God loves doing work this way, where he receives the glory. There's the grace of God that saves us from our sins, and there's also the grace of God that works in our lives to to empower us, to empower us for service where we know, and everyone else around us knows, man, this was the Holy Spirit. Isn't that the way that we read the book of Acts? When we read the book of Acts, do we go, wow, these are just amazing men and women? Yes, they were. We go, this is an amazing work of the Holy Spirit. What's emphasized is they're yielding and following the Holy Spirit. So let's read a little bit further in Zechariah. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Zerubbabel must have been thinking about quitting. He had started this building project. It's not going well. There's spiritual attack. There's practical opposition. He's saying, no, I'm not going to do this. He's probably even thinking it was a little bit easier in captivity. Maybe you're there tonight, and you know that the Lord's called you, but it's gotten really difficult, and it's like, man, God, I'm giving you my resignation, but he's not accepting your resignation. (laughs) He's not accepting my resignation. We're going, what's the deal, Lord? And God wants to give us this encouragement through the power of the Holy Spirit that, hey, you started it, you're going to finish it. God's going to be faithful. He's going to give you power from the Holy Spirit that you don't have in and of yourself. Goes on in verse 9, then you will know the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. When the work's finished, you're going to know that this was a word from the Lord. And, And here's the conviction in this, in verse 10, for who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel, They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Who's despised the day of small things? Well, I have, and you probably have too. The temptation in the midst of of building this temple is it's not going to make any difference. And that's what we're facing with the lie of the enemy. Here I am in these dark days and these discouraging days. So much craziness that that is happening and can lose our way. Is my little bit of faithfulness going to make any difference? And the Lord would say yes. Don't despise the day of small things. God's the God who works in what we would consider the little things. David was given the job to take care of the sheep. He's the youngest. It's like being the youngest on the basketball team, the freshman, the rookie. What do you do? You do all the stuff that nobody else wants to do. What do you do when you're new on the job? You're given the tasks that no one else wants to do. And and David's job was to take care of the sheep. And there he was taking care of the sheep, practicing with his slingshot. But he became very proficient with the slingshot. It's David's time as a shepherd that taught him about who the Lord is and developed the skills that God would use to defeat Goliath and for him to be a king. If we try to bypass or skip the days of small things, we'll miss what God's doing. You know how the temple was built? 
one small day at a time. One stone laid upon another, another stone laid upon another. They were also facing this discouragement of this second temple did not have the glory of Solomon's temple. Solomon had all of the resources that David passed on. They're coming out of captivity. And so they're like, is this ever going to happen? And if it is going to happen, it's going to be not even nearly as glorious as that first temple. And God's encouragement is, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it through the Holy Spirit. Don't despise the days of small things. The hands that started it are also going to be the hands that, that finish it. Then there's this interesting part of verse 10 where these seven rejoice to see the plumb line. The plumb line to, to make the, the blocks of the temple. And it's heaven is watching. The eyes of the Lord. They scan to and fro through the whole earth. God is pleased to see this investment in his kingdom. To see this investment in his work. Verse 11, then I answered and said to him, what are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and the left? And I further answered and said to him, what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from the golden oil drains? Then he answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Are you picking up on the language that we read out of Revelation chapter 11? The two witnesses are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the God of the earth. And here, the trees represent the two anointed ones that are Joshua and Zerubbabel, the king and priest. Joshua being the priest and Zerubbabel being the king. The two witnesses are life of the Holy Spirit. Let's go a little bit deeper, because when we think of God's power, it's not enough to just know that we live in dark days, and it's not by power or by God or by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. But how is the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives? So turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Let's go back to the, to the New Testament, and let's look at, at Acts chapter 1. This is Acts 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus has risen from the dead and encourages the disciples, I want you to go and wait till you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John came baptizing with water. Jesus was going to come immersing us in the Spirit. The word baptize means to immerse. We had baptisms this weekend, and when I'm explaining baptism, we meet in the upper room, and people are a little nervous about getting baptized. And I always usually say something like, we've never held anybody down too long, right? <laughs> Though we've wanted to on a couple occasions. I think I've, I've used that like every baptism that we've had for like 16 years. Like the pastors are like, oh no, here, here he's going to do it again, right? 
But something different happened this Sunday as a dad was standing in the back of the room and he raises his hand and he goes, well, well how long do you hold him down, right? And his child was getting baptized and he's like, then I scared him. And I was like, no, no, don't worry. It's going to be quick, right? But the word baptism, it does mean to immerse, to, to be fully immersed. And, and so Jesus is going to immerse us in the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples are to wait for this power. Interesting, God doesn't just say, go march out in mission. He says, I want you to wait. Wait until you've received this. In verse 6, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. They're nationalists. They're, they're Jews. They're Israel. They want to get rid of the Roman op- occupation. Is this going to be the time that you overthrow the Roman Empire? Jesus says, don't worry about it, but here's your mission. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The two witnesses were witnesses of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is all about the power of the Holy Spirit. So you go on to continue reading in the book of Acts, chapter 2. They're waiting, praying, waiting, praying. There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues. People are wondering what in the world's going on. They're hearing the wonderful works of God in their own language. Peter's like, we're not drunk. Goes, explains this to them scripturally. Says, you need to be saved. You need to repent and be saved. 3,000 people get saved. And the church is birthed through the power of the Holy Spirit. For us today, the power of the Holy Spirit is equally important. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is equally important. We see three relationships that the disciples had with the Holy Spirit that we have with the Spirit as well. First, the Holy Spirit was with the disciples. Before Jesus died and rose again, the Spirit was with them but not in them because they weren't cleansed from their sin. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he came and met with them. They're locked up in the room and he just shows up. He doesn't use the door. There he is teleports in in his glorified body. Peace be with you. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came in them. Then here in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we see the Holy Spirit comes upon them. The moment that we receive Christ as our Savior, the Spirit of God comes in us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But God also desires to baptize us in his Spirit. And this is not just a one-time experience, but this is a continual filling. In the book of Ephesians, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the Greek, that's a command to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Continue to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the purpose of being baptized in the Spirit? Is it to speak in tongues? No. Is it to bark like a dog? No. Is it to be slain in the spirit. Is that the evidence that you're baptized? Some of you are like, I don't even know what it means to be slain in the spirit. It's this idea that people are praying for you, and it's so powerful that all of a sudden you just fall down slain. Is that the evidence that you're slain in the spirit, that you're filled with the spirit? No. What does the Bible say? What does Acts 1 say? 
says, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, so you shall be my witness. The evidence of being baptized in the Spirit is our life points to Jesus Christ. And who doesn't want that? And who doesn't want the power to be filled, to be able to be the witness that glorifies Jesus Christ? This is the supernatural work of God in our lives that people could look on and see Jesus in us. Because we're sinful. So the only way that this can happen is through a work of the Spirit. Let's try to make this a little bit more practical. How does this really look to be baptized in the Spirit and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said in Luke's gospel, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. We're coming up on Christmas. It's fun to give your kids gifts, especially spontaneous ones. Christmas gifts are fun but the ones they don't expect are coming are, are even more fun, right? We're evil, yet we know how to give good gifts to our kids. Then Jesus said, how much more does your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He waits for us to ask. Well, wait a second. I've got the Spirit of God living inside of me, so why do I have to ask? This is the power of the Spirit. We need to be every day waking up and saying, Holy Spirit, I need you. Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. I want to walk in your power. So to experience the life of the Spirit, a good place to start is to pause. Pause. Lord, I can't do this without you. That humility of of being broken before the Lord. In the morning, throughout the day, in the evening, God, I'm broken. I'm waiting. There's this element where the church is waiting. We, We pause Oftentimes we just go through our lives, go through our days, trying to do it, do it on our own strength. So we pause, then we ask. Jesus, you told me to ask for the Holy Spirit. I know the Spirit lives inside of me, but would you fill me with, with your Spirit? Then you begin to yield. Yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit leading you to do? Well, how do I know what the Holy Spirit's going to lead me to do? It's going to look like love. It's going to look like joy. It's going to look like peace and gentleness and kindness. And that's a witness of Jesus. When people see those fruits of the Spirit that can only come through the Holy Spirit, they begin to go, something's different about you. Not perfection. You're a sinner that's saved by grace, but there's the work of the Spirit that's beginning to flow in and through your life. And for some reason, we seem really reserved with the work of the Spirit in our lives. And sometimes it's because there's been abuses of the Holy Spirit. Some of those things I, I mentioned, barking like a dog, being, being slain in the, the Spirit, speaking in tongues, if it's done biblically, is not an abuse of, of the Spirit. There's this element where we don't understand, that we fear surrendering control. But the secret to the Christian life is the Spirit of God. It's really resting and relying and asking for the power of the Spirit. What we see happening with these two witnesses is evidence of the power of the Spirit. So when we think about being mighty in God, the first thing this evening is God's power. It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Sometimes the Christian life can feel like bowling. Bowling's miserable because I'm terrible at it. Like, man, why do I want to pay money to throw gutter balls and lose to others, right? 
Pastor Robert's a good bowler, so I don't ever bowl with him, you know? So I don't want to lose to Pastor Robert, right? And in the Christian life, we just feel like, I always throw gutter balls. There's this promise of victory, this promise of God using my life, but, but I always fall short. Not by power or by might, but, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God, help me. Help me to understand what this is to find freedom in your spirit, in your power, and in, in your might. Let's go back to Revelation 11 and look at a few more attributes of the two witnesses. This is verse 5 of Revelation 11. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Focus on this in verse 7. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. When are they killed? When they finish their testimony. Point number two, being mighty in God, is God's power, but also God's protection. God protected these two witnesses until their testimony was done. We're living where there is more opposition to the things of Christ, the things of God. And it can be easy for us to be in a place of fear. But if God wants you to be here, you're going to be here. If God wants you to be home with the Lord, you're going to be home with the Lord. As long as you're serving the Lord, he's going to protect you until he's done with your mission. Their mission was done. He allowed them to be killed. And the key there is as we're serving the Lord. Right? We can easily end our time prematurely through, through sin or foolishness. But as we're serving the Lord, just saying, Lord, my life belongs to you. I, I want to serve you. We might be in some dangerous situations. Living for the Lord does involve risk, doesn't it? These two witnesses are not necessarily in a safe environment because they're taking light into the darkness. And the power of the Holy Spirit is going to lead us out of our comfort zone, lead us into dangerous places, but ultimately God's going to protect until our time is done, until their testimony is finished. And you're saying, well, Eric, Christians get martyred all the time. The two witnesses get killed. Yes, that may be the case. God may choose to allow us to be martyred. He may allow for our lives to, to end in, in that way. He may allow pers persecution, but it's in his hand. It, he's going to protect us and allow us to continue to serve him, or he's going to use our suffering. He's going to use our death. But we see this going the way that God wants it to go, not the way the enemy wants it to go. So there's God's power. There's God's protection. And then there's God's plan in these next few verses, verse 8 down to verse 13. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Christ is crucified in Jerusalem. It's Jerusalem in a very dark place spiritually like Sodom and Egypt. Then those 
from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into the grave. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Maybe this is led by Amazon. Maybe Amazon leads the way here and says, hey, the, the two prophets have, have died, and so now you can send Christmas gifts to each other. These two voices that have tormented us and, and convicted us, they, they can no longer torment us. And we kind of see this language already building in the culture today. It's those Christians. Those Christians are tormenting us, and they're holding things back and preventing our, our agenda. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest of were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. Third thing that we see in these two witnesses is God's plan. God's plan. Step back from this and try to think of it from the terms of not knowing the story. You're the two witnesses. God's called you. He's used you. There's the power of the Holy Spirit. He's protecting you. People are trying to, to kill you. They're not able to do that. You're able to call down fire from heaven. All of a sudden, here comes the beast from the bottomless pit. Satan coming from the bottomless pit, and he kills you. you go, what in the world? I thought God was using me, and God was protecting me, and God had a plan, and, and now he's allowed death. But God's not finished. The breath of God, God breathes, and there's life resurrects these two witnesses. The world's watching. Fulfillment of prophecy. The world's able to see events happening live while it takes place. They get called up to heaven and God receives glory. It's God's plan. Reminds us a lot of Jesus' resurrection. Satan thinks that he has the victory in Christ being crucified. He's buried. He's lifeless in the grave, in the tomb, Jesus is raised from the dead on the third day. The resurrection has the final word. God's plan involves death. His plan involved the death of Jesus. His plan involved the death of the two witnesses. But it's not the end of the story. He's the God of the resurrection. He's the God that brings life where there's the death. He's the God that promises all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Have you had some death of your plans the last two years? It seems like there's been a lot of that. In talking with a lot of you in wrestling through your work situation, more and more employers are requiring vaccines, and that's a very personal decision that you wrestle through with the Lord and some of you feel a peace to get vaccinated and some of you don't feel a peace to be vaccinated and are applying for religious exemption 
Many of you have called the church office and we're supporting you with a a letter if you decide to go down that road of religious exemption. But there's been many death of plans through all of that. Some of you have lost jobs and are wondering if I'm going to lose my job or not. And it's amazing. It sure seems like most of you are facing that with your employer if you haven't already. And we're living in that. Some of you not, not facing that, but a lot of you are. And all of a sudden, plans are being changed and plans are being altered. And some are choosing different jobs and some are losing jobs and some are, some are keeping jobs. Talked with a lot of college kids in our church where their educational plans have changed one way or another because of COVID. Moved to online learning, or same thing with these vaccine issues, deciding to be vaccinated, decided not to be vaccinated, and things are moving around all the time. Vacation plans majorly changed for for a lot of people. And on the rate of, of things, that's not too high in the priority, but it can be a disappointment. The majority of missions plans that we've had as a church for us to actually go, whether it's a pastor or a short-term team, a lot of those plans have have been canceled or changed. I just mentioned on the weekend that Sean and and Ryan and Mike Parks and Gabrielle from Chihuahua, Calvary Chapel Chihuahua, were going to India. Well, they're not going to India. They made it as far as Chicago. They said, hey, you can't come into India. Apparently, they're not letting any Americans into India until November 15th, and probably that's going to get moved till November 30th or who knows when. If there's ever a time where we make plans and God laughs, it's now. Like We know nothing, and it's really hard to, to plan, right? But here's a, a verse to keep in mind. It's Proverbs 16.9. It says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And we find that with the two witnesses. God had a plan. It's it's God's plan. And if we're going to be used in this time, like the two witnesses, it may mean that there is a, a death of our plans. It may mean that there's some suffering. It may mean, God, where are you? I I don't understand why you're allowing this. And those are, those are honest questions. But in the midst of that, to remember, God, I know that you're faithful, and my plan's getting altered, and I'm confused, but you have a plan. And his plan often is one that we can't anticipate. It's a story we can't write. He's the God of the resurrection. He rose these two guys from the dead. (laughs) We're so busy wondering who they are. God's like, no, I rose them from the dead, and the whole world's going what in the world happened? We were just having Christmas over their death, and now they're back alive, and they just ascended into heaven. And the end of this is some have the reverence of God, and they give God glory. And God's plan is leading some people to be able to see his glory. Some reject, but some accept. And so we're kind of along for the ride here, going, God, this is uncomfortable. I don't like this. Why did you allow this? Everything seems to be getting canceled. What's going on with my job? I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. My kids' school is on and off, all these different things at play, and the Lord is in control. And say, okay, Lord, I'm submitted to your plan. Help me to trust you 
that you're doing something where you're going to receive the glory because God's plan has options that we haven't even begun to consider. So we get to a place where we go, this is a roadblock, and God's like, oh, this is, I'm doing something here. I'm doing something here. I've got something in store that you couldn't even anticipate. I'm the God of the resurrection. So if you're wondering, maybe this mandate has the final word. No, it doesn't. It doesn't have the final word. COVID doesn't have the final word. This, this death that has taken place, it doesn't have this final word. This divorce that happened that you didn't want to take place, this, this rejection that you're feeling, this, this closed door. Nope, God's the God of the resurrection. He hasn't given up. He, he's, he's working. And it's not that he's working for my good in the sense that it's going to work out the way that I would like it to, but he's working things for his glory. And I realize his glory is my good. It's like, okay, Lord, th- this is working out so that you receive glory, and that's the best possible outcome. So I know many of us are, are wrestling. I think if we were all honest, our plans getting altered and changed and doors closed because of COVID and mandate and vaccines and all that has touched us and our families, all of us in some way, right? Okay, Lord, you're, you're closing the door. You're, you're doing this, you're doing that. Okay, I've got a battle on my hands that I didn't anticipate, and you're, you're calling me into this, and And so, Lord, I'm going to try to do this in in a godly way, but I'm trusting that you've got a plan. I'm trusting that you're you're working. So as we're going through these days that we're living in and studying the book of Revelation, we do see a parallel. There's, There's dark days in Revelation. We're living in dark times spiritually. God's on the throne. His throne is set. And he wants to do a work of his Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Come to the Lord. God, help me to understand the Spirit. Lord, help me to understand what it means to walk in the Spirit. I need the power of your, your Spirit. You told me to ask. I'm asking in faith. You're, you're a good Father. And I want to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit. Several years back, a, a man in our church was passing away of cancer, and he was getting his cancer treatments and he would have to sit for quite a while while he would get his cancer treatment. So on a few occasions, I would just go and, and sit with him. And he was going through so much suffering. And he said, Eric, you know, I realize that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and knows me better than I know myself. So I've been asking the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom and to speak to me and help me to be able to, to get through this. And he said, the Holy Spirit's been faithful to answer that prayer. And it it may not be a cancer diagnosis, but some other type of difficulty to bring us to that place of, wait a second, Holy Spirit, you live inside of me. You know me better than I know myself. So I'm relying upon the Holy Spirit. God wants to do a, a fresh work of the Holy Spirit. May we be desperate for the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's a bit of waiting. Lord, I just need, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna cry out to you. I need the Holy Spirit. I need to understand this. I've got enough of me, not enough of you. Then to trust God's protection. Do we trust God's protection? We don't have to be in fear. There may be suffering in this life. There may be death. There may be persecution. We may be the odd man out. Hey, that's okay. 
It's in his hand. If God wants us to be here, we're going to be here. If he wants us to be here tomorrow, five years from now, ten years from now, we're going to be here. We don't be reckless with that. We don't go into foolishness or sin. But if he wants us to be here, he's going to protect us. If he wants us to be in glory, we're going to be in glory. If he wants us to experience some suffering, he's going to allow us to experience some suffering, God's protection, and then God's plan. His ways are not our ways. If I know one thing in my life, nothing has gone the way that I would planned. I was, I was a big planner around 19 or 20 and had a roadmap for my life. And nothing, nothing went according to that roadmap, but it's been better. It's been better. It's been better because it's been the Lord's perspective and not my perspective. Not what I would have necessarily chose. Okay, Lord, I had my plans, but you directed my steps. It's not wrong to have a plan. I think it's wise to have a plan. Have a prayerful plan, put it in place. That plan will get you moving. But most of the time, it doesn't go the way we plan. God intervenes, thankfully, and he directs our steps. We got a loving father. We got a good shepherd that's going to direct our steps. And he's going to direct the steps of those we love. Of those we love. You've got a son. You've got a daughter, your mom or dad. That their life is altered because of all of this craziness that we're living in. God's with them. He's going to direct their steps. So may we be encouraged and look to God's throne and look for God to to use us in these times. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, as we read of the Holy Spirit, we do desire to experience the power of the Spirit in our lives for your glory. So we come to you and we ask. We know the Spirit lives inside of us, but Father, would you, would you fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit? If you feel comfortable, just open up your hands to the Lord and ask in faith for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you fill me afresh? there's things that God's calling us to let go of so that he can fill us. Let's let's let go of those things. Let's confess those things. Father, by your grace, by your mercy, by the character and nature of your Son, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? so that we can be your witnesses. We cannot do this on our own. We don't have the power. We don't have the might. There's a huge mountain before us. We're all facing challenges. Would you fill us with your spirit? We yield to you, Holy Spirit. And Father, we recognize that you're ultimately in control. You're the one who protects. You protected the two witnesses until it was time. And when death comes, we trust that it was your hand. We trust your protection. And we trust your plan. It's been a 
frustrating season. We, we plan things and they just don't seem to work out the way that we thought. But we know you have a plan. And your plan's better and it's not the one that we would expect. You're the God of the resurrection. Jesus, you bring life where there's death. And where there's been death of plans and even death of loved ones, God, would you bring life? Would you bring good out of these situations? Where there's closed doors, would you redirect? Lord, I I pray for people in our church family that are just wrestling through these decisions with vaccine or no vaccine and standing up against mandates or, or going along. And those are very personal decisions. And Jesus, would you shepherd them? And would you bring provision? Lord, where there's a, a fear for provision, would, would you provide? I'm sure people's lives are being redirected as we speak. And Lord, would you bring about just beautiful things, new things that we would have never anticipated for your glory? But in all of this, we want you to have our attention, Jesus, and we we want the world to get your attention. We want you to get the world's attention. We want you to be glorified. So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.